Oh, that is so fun to watch. And to, I'm so excited for our Christmas store to come up and for us to really truly be the church better seven days a week instead of just one and to love our neighborhood well. And that's the kind of church that God is creating here and shaping here. And so I hope you get to be a part of that and you don't miss out because I don't want Laura to have to tell you that she told you so. Uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and I'm excited for us to conclude our Give Thanks series. But before we get into the notes and the time that I've prepared for today, I just want to acknowledge the week that we've had as a nation. Uh, this has been a, this has been a um, challenging week, and it's been a very confusing, if not frustrating, if not defeating, if not enraging, maybe for some kind of week. And I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, we continue to pursue the God of peace and justice as he gives it and he defines it. And what can happen when you watch the news and you can spend all night watching and nothing really changes, you can feel pretty powerless in those moments. And I just want to acknowledge one of the most powerful things you can do in the face of injustice is to pray, is to pray. And I want to honor those of you who gathered here Wednesday night to pray for peace, to pray for Ferguson, to pray for the city of Chicago. We all know this city needs some peace. To pray for our church that we'd be people of peace. And we're going to continue to do that together. I want to encourage you. That is something all of us can do. We can pray and call out to the God of peace and justice together. And so I want to strongly encourage you to continue to do that in the face of what we're facing as a nation as we continue to seem to be more and more and more divided. God's peace is for everyone. No one gets excluded from that. And so we get to be agents of that in this world. And then I also want to just acknowledge something else very personal for us this week. We had a really defining week for us as a family, for Team Stevens this week. Uh, we had sick kids out yeah, last Sunday from church. They didn't make it to church because they were sick and started with our son Elijah who was sick. And it was so sweet to watch his little sister Gigi care for him all day. And she is such a gift of mercy and compassion. So she was bringing him blankets and bringing him ginger ale because that's the magic drink when we get sick in our house and bringing him all that stuff. She even cleaned his room for him because she just wanted him to feel better. And then we watched over the course of the day as she got really sick in caring for her sick brother. And what was a fever and a flu on Sunday night actually led us to the emergency room on Monday night. And we had no idea the kind of week that we were in for this last week. And what ended up happening after a series of tests, strep throat tests, x-rays, a CAT scan, putting a camera through her little nose down her throat, uh, the doctors found something very, very, very rare. Uh, they actually found something called bacterial tracheitis, which is a very rare infection that happens usually in third world countries, underdeveloped countries. And in fact, it's so rare that it's one in a million people actually get this. So one in a million people actually come down with this but the mortality rate is one in five. This is a very scary week for us. And so after all the tests and finding out what it was, uh, Gigi actually had surgery on Monday afternoon. And uh, I thank God for the doctors who cared for her. And they ended up keeping her all the way through, actually, this last week. In fact, we actually celebrated Thanksgiving in the ICU at Rush Hospital. This last week, we packed a little family room with the entire Thanksgiving meal and it was the most sterile Thanksgiving we've ever had <laughs> as a family. And I just want to let you know a couple things. First of all, I want to let you know that Gigi is doing remarkably well. We got released from the hospital on Friday. And by 
Saturday morning, she was bouncing around the house, singing Christmas songs, decorating the house for Christmas, and telling us all what to do. And so she's right back, <laughs> right back to her old self. That is truly miraculous. And so I want to hear you to hear me say, we thank God for her healing, because that's what it was. God has healed her. And we say only God around here all the time, and that's all that Jeannie and I can seem to say is only God could heal her like that. Only God could surround her with amazing doctors and nurses and staff and technicians who genuinely cared for our daughter. And what we found out afterwards is that several of them were people of faith who've now reached out to us and let us know they were praying for her while they were caring for her. What a gift. And I just want to let you know how thankful we are for you, for our family, our church family. Those of you who prayed for us, who cared for us, who literally carried us through one of the hardest weeks we've had as a family. I just want to say how proud I am, not only to be a pastor of this church, but to be a part of this church. Thank you for how you cared for and carried our family, and especially our little Gigi. She is one tough and tender little cookie, just like her mama. And so... We are so thankful that she's home. She was here this morning. We celebrate Elijah's baptism earlier this morning, and we invited people to come stand around the tank, and she walked right up on the stage and took her place right in the spotlight, which is where she belongs. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. And I don't know if you've had one of those weeks where you feel overwhelmed uh, with gratitude, where, where you become aware, you have a greater awareness of God's goodness in your life. I bet at some point in your life, regardless of where you're at with God, You've been hit with a sense of gratitude. You've come down with a case of gratitude where you just stop and go, oh man, thank you. Thank you so much. And maybe for you, it's a thank you God kind of thing, or maybe it's just someone else. It's a thank you for what they've done for you. But I want us to talk for a a little bit today about gratitude and what we do with gratitude. Where does our gratitude actually go? What are you supposed to do when you feel gratitude. Now, listen, I grew up in a house where when we received gifts, like birthdays and stuff, I grew up in a house where my mom made us, and I mean made us, write thank you notes. So we had to write thank you notes every time we received a gift. And my mom's actually in town this weekend, so she wanted to make sure that I told you that she raised us that way. So we wrote thank you notes all the time. Just by show of hands, how many have been married in the last five years? Just been gotten married in the last five years? You're still probably writing thank you notes. You know exactly how that can be. It's a right thing to do when you feel thankful. It's something to do for the emotion that you feel of gratitude. And kids have an amazing way of being honest in their gratitude. In fact, I came across a couple thank you notes from kids that I thought I would share with you because this is something that you do. We get to do when we feel gratitude. We like to write notes or say thank you to folks. We have to remind ourselves to be grateful. Well, these are a couple notes from kids. This first one is to a teacher, and it says, Dear Mrs. McMahon, Thank you for being such a good teacher, but you're not my most favorite. (laughs) You're on the list at least, just not at the top. Just not at the top. So honest gratitude, right? All right. All right, this one's to a mom. This is really sweet. Brooke wrote this to her mom. Maybe it's for Mother's Day. I'm not sure. But she wrote, Dear Mom, thank yo, forgot the you there, thank yo so, lots of O's, much, for being my mom. If I had a different mom, I'd punch her in the face and go find you. So... (laughs) Look out, look out for Brooke. She's got some anger mixed in there with that gratitude. It's honest though, right? All right, last one. This is more pertinent to what we're talking about today because this person wrote a thank you note to God. What a great, great, sweet concept. Joyce wrote a little thank you note to God. And this is what Joyce wrote to God. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother. But what I asked for was a puppy. So, <laughs> again, honest, honest. Can't go back and change that one. 
We all know where gratitude comes from. I think gratitude for us, if we, let's just stop and think about it. Gratitude comes from a place. It's an interesting thing about gratitude is that it's not an isolated incident. Gratitude never exists in and of itself by itself. It's always a response to something else or a response, in our case, for what we're going to look at today, to someone else. And you and I need to, I need to, do things in my life to remind me of that response, that my gratitude is actually a response to a good and loving God, that I need to, in fact, train myself and even discipline myself to be more grateful to a God who is always good. One of my favorite writers and thinkers is a guy named Henry Nouwen. And he wrote these words about the discipline of gratitude, what we do to say thank you. He wrote these words, the discipline of gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that all that I am and all that I have is given to me as a gift of love to be celebrated with joy. Isn't that beautiful? I have to discipline myself. I have to do something about this thing that I feel called gratitude. I have to remind myself that this is all a gift from God. It all comes from him. So we know where gratitude comes from. The question is, where does gratitude actually go? Where does your gratitude go? Where is it supposed to go in your life? So we're going to look at one passage from the Bible that really talks about where our gratitude can go, and it's found in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So I want you to grab a Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, I want to let you know that we actually have Bibles for you. They're in your seat backs or in the seat in front of you. And in these Bibles, it's on page 806. All right, so in the Bibles that we have for you, it's page 806. We're going to look at where gratitude goes And in a moment, I'm actually going to draw for you. I never draw, but I'm going to draw for you to help us kind of understand where this gratitude can go. And I also want to let you know this. There's something that I just want to hit pause on real quick. Normally, by this point in the gathering, uh, we would have received our offering. It's part of our worship that we do every week. So normally, by this point in our gathering, we would have received our offering. And I just want to let you know that we have intentionally not done so yet. And I don't want you to be surprised by some kind of bait and switch after a message on gratitude and giving to God that we're going to do the offering at the end of the message. I don't want you to be surprised by a bait and switch. So there's going to be a bait and switch (laughs) at the end because I don't want you to be surprised. We're going to receive the offering at the end, but I think it's actually going to come from a different place today. I think it's going to come from a much deeper place in your heart as you consider how good God is to you and how you can actually respond, where your gratitude can go in response to God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 gives us a little picture of what that looks like. And it's, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, wrote, wrote about half the New Testament. It's to a church in the city of Corinth. This is a major city, a big city, a very metropolitan, very progressive city. And the church in the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago was a very big church. It was a growing church. But there was something happening in the church that Paul began to notice. They were looking less and less and less like Jesus and more and more and more like the world around them. They were losing sight of what actually made them different and gave them life in this world, and that is Jesus. So throughout this letter, Paul is reminding them of who Jesus is and to not lose sight of him. Simultaneously, there was actually something going on in the city of Jerusalem where the very first church was. There was a great need that broke out. A wave of poverty had hit the city like they'd never seen. And so Paul's saying, look, we are one church. And so he's imploring the people in the city of Corinth to respond out of their gratitude to give to the need that was happening in the city of Jerusalem, hundreds of miles away. So that's context to where we're at in this moment. And then Paul says these words to them that I want to put up on the screen and want us to read along together today. 
Paul says this, he, he plays to their strengths. He knows that they're very accomplished, proud people or a big church in a big city. And so Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, he says, but since you excel in everything, now Paul says, look, b- because you're already awesome, Paul's just saying, I know that you guys are high achievers. And I just want to hit pause real quick. I want to hit pause. I feel the same way about this church. The more and more I meet people, the more and more we get to know each other at this church, the more amazed I am at the amazing people that are at this church. Such talented, gifted, passionate people who love God, love the city. Jeannie and I are blown away at the kind of people that are part of this church. We are so, you guys excel in so much. We are so proud to be your pastors. And Paul says in the same way, you excel at so many things. You are already awesome at so many things in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you. So Paul says, so since you're already awesome at all these other things, see to it, make sure that, don't forget to excel in the grace of giving. I just want you to sit with that phrase for a minute, in the grace of giving. Now, we work so hard to excel at so many things. We're in Chicago. We're a hardworking city. We work hard to get ahead and to do what we can. Paul says, you're already awesome at so many things. You work so hard at so many things. Here's what I don't want you to miss. I want you to excel at the grace of giving. He does not say at the guilt of giving. At the grace, this like this, this dance, this joy-filled movement with God where our gratitude actually goes somewhere. Specifically, it comes out and manifests itself in our giving. See, giving is where gratitude is meant to go. Giving is where gratitude goes. Now, it's one thing for me to feel grateful, and I bet you felt grateful recently. On Thursday, you had to remind yourself to feel grateful. You ate so much on Thursday that you felt awful on Friday, but you felt grateful maybe for a little bit on Thursday. Paul says, look, that, that gratitude is meant to go somewhere, and the place that it goes is giving. We are invited to excel in the grace of giving back to God. See, gratitude comes from my awareness of God's goodness, but it goes to giving. It makes itself known. It's made public in how I give and how I respond and how I give back to a God who has already given me everything. Giving, in other words, is the fruit of gratitude. Giving is the fruit of gratitude. It's when people get freed up from their stuff and see it all as a gift from a loving God meant to be celebrated with great joy. Have you ever met someone in your life who is just free with their stuff? They just, whether they have a little, where they have a lot, they just, they're not kind of tied up or bound to their stuff. You ever met someone who always seems to have someone living with them? They're just always taking care of someone. There's a relative, a friend, a neighbor who needed a place to stay. They're always standing there. Maybe they're loaning out their car, just kind of giving it to whoever needs it, you know, kind of just free with their stuff. If someone has a need, they'll, they'll cover lunch. They, they don't, they're not caught up in that stuff. You ever met someone like that? They're really fun to be around, aren't they? <laughs> they're the kind of people we want to be like, aren't they? Now, on the other end, you ever met someone who's the opposite, who loves their stuff more than people, who calls their stuff baby, who's all tied up, who's all locked-armed, clenched fist, holding on as tight as they can to whatever they can in this world. You ever met someone like that? Not a lot of joy there, is there? 
Not a lot of freedom, is there? Paul says, if you feel grateful, then I invite you to excel in the grace of giving. Let it be known that giving is that fruit of your gratitude. And another, another way to look at it, another metaphor for you to think of, is that my giving is like a gauge of my gratitude. Just think about that for a second. My giving is like a gauge. It kind of lets me know how deep, how real my gratitude really is. It's one thing to say I'm grateful. It's another thing to give. And I say, this is how grateful I am. I want to put it into action. I want to put it into motion. Giving is really like a gauge for my gratitude. Now, you're about to get a gift. I'm going to draw for you. There's a reason I don't draw on stage ever. I am a terrible artist. But I want you to think of your fuel gauge in your car right now. So this would be full. This would be half. This would be empty. This would be when you go to get gas. <laughs> All right, so we kind of know how this works, right? Little points in between. What do you think about your soul? I want you to think about giving is where it fits into your life right now, that it's actually like a gauge for your gratitude. Now, in a moment, we're going to see the offering. Like I said, we're going to pass the buckets like we do. And every time we do, every single time we do, we do it as part of our worship because we believe it's our joy to give back to God. It's just a way to remind myself, to discipline myself, to be grateful. And when we do, every time we do, no matter how many people are here, no matter how many different kinds of people are here, there's always three types of people whose hands grab the bucket every time we pass it. And I just want to talk for a moment about those people. The first people we're going to talk about are grippers. I'm going to talk about them in a second. Next group we're going to talk about are tippers. And then the last group I want us to talk about are givers. Let's talk for a moment about grippers. I think every time the bucket is passed, something is revealed about our soul and our gratitude for God. Whether you give online or give in the service, it's a reminder of what's really going on in our soul. And there are people, always people, who in this world are more like grippers than anything else. Now, they would never call themselves that. They would never, ever, ever use the word selfish. But if you were to look at the fruit of their life, what you might see is they're holding on as tight as they can to whatever they can, as long as they can. And maybe for them, they grew up in a house where that's what you did. Money was meant to just be, to get it and then hold on to it as tight as you can. For some people, it comes from a lot of different places. It comes from a fear of scarcity, that there's just not going to be enough. So I gotta get it while I can. For others, it's a fear that God isn't actually good enough. He doesn't know my needs. He can't take care of me. And so I see the gap between what I have and what I want, and I fill it myself. I grab on and grip to it as tight as I can. But I think all of us know the kind of universal truth about grippers is that as tight as they're holding on to their stuff, the reality is it's not them gripping their stuff. It's their stuff that's got a grip on them. True? You've met people like this. And maybe you might, if you were to be honest, say that's how you tend to approach your resources. You're a gripper. You just want to hold on. Maybe you haven't had money for a long time, or maybe you have lots, and that's the reason you have lots, because you hold on to it as tight as you can. It doesn't really matter how much you have in the tank. It's what you do with it. And if there's one thing that grippers tend to lack, typically tend to lack, there's a reason I don't write on stage ever, because it looks like this. Grippers lack perspective. 
Grippers lack perspective. Grippers think that their stuff is their stuff. They don't see it as a gift. They see it as a right that they're entitled to. And so they hold on to it as tight as they can. I think when every time the bucket comes around, there are people who, as they're passionate, grip to their resources as tight as possible, sometimes literally. I mean, maybe, you know, they pass the bucket. They just don't feel comfortable with the open bucket system. I'm not going to give to this. I don't even know where this money goes to. I don't even, it's just open bucket. It could fall out. I don't know what your reason is every time, but there's, there's reasons. It comes from somewhere. And so the question is, what's that telling you about the state of your soul? About the gratitude that you say and you genuinely do feel. There's grippers. Then there are tippers. And I think tippers is honestly a lot of people that are part of church, go to church, tend to fall in this category. A lot of folks. In fact, statistically, majority of folks tend to fall kind of right somewhere in here that go to church. And tippers actually start with great intention, great motivation. They feel a sense of gratitude to God. Something happens. They see an awesome baptism celebration story. They hear truth being taught from the Bible. They see their life being changed by God, and they are genuinely motivated and moved by God. But the problem is what keeps them from responding fully is that they are contingent to not what God has said in their heart, but what they have in their wallet. And so they just feel motivated and give, and so they reach in and throw whatever they have on them. Some weeks it's a couple bucks, some weeks, maybe it's a couple twenties, maybe a hundred, doesn't matter what the amount is. It's just whatever they happen to have in their wallet. I mean, it's the same exact thing that you and I do every time you go out to dinner. It always happens to me at the valet. I never know exactly how much to give when I valet. I don't know when I go to pick up food, like order, like takeout. Am I supposed to tip on that? That's another talk for another time. We'll talk about that next week. All right. I don't know, right? And so what ends up happening is it's sort of whatever I have. Like, I don't know, here's a couple bucks. I wish I had more. And I think for a lot of people, that's tends to be what happens when the bucket gets passed. They're like a tipper. It's like, hey, God, I get it. You're doing great. Here's what I got. I'm, you, you know, boy. And so they kind of throw the money in the bucket. Again, great intention, great place to start, but not the best way to live because your giving is always contingent on your having, what you have in your wallet. And I think you're invited to much, much more, a, an attitude of gratitude that makes its way to giving. If there's something that tippers tend to lack, is they lack a plan. They lack a plan. They, they, they lack kind of setting up and saying, no, this is important. I need to discipline myself towards gratitude. That's why we talked about this last week. We talked last week about having a plan. In fact, the homework was we gave everyone an opportunity to fill out a budget sheet. We have it all online. If you missed it last week, you can grab it online because here's what we know and we've come to see to be true. Everyone else has a plan for your money. Everyone else has a plan for your money. The question is, do you? What's yours? What's your plan? So that you're not contingent on what you have in your wallet, but you are set and committed to what God has put in your heart to give. So there's grippers, hold on tight, tippers who give kind of what they have in the moment. But then there's what Paul is talking about here, and that's givers. These are folks who see life as a gift from God. They don't just feel grateful. They do something about their gratitude. These are the kind of folks who, regardless of how much they have in the tank, these are the kind of folks who are committed to investing in things that outlive their life to giving to things of God, to giving to movements of God, to giving to things that are so much bigger than them. 
These are folks who just kind of have a different perspective. The Bible would call it an eternal perspective or a kingdom perspective. They see that there's much more going on here than just paying bills at the end of the month. That they set their lives in motion to give to God. Something has changed their perspective on their stuff and on God. And so they've put together a plan to say, I'm going to prioritize giving as an expression of my gratitude to God. And they give, here's the word, joyfully to God. They give joyfully and consistently to God. It becomes a habit for them that leads to life. And they find this amazing principle that the more and more and more and more they give, the more and more and more they seem to have. And if there's something that givers lack... It's nothing. Givers lack nothing. Now that doesn't mean that God waves a magic wand and fills their bank account. Wouldn't that be great? Or eliminates their debt as soon as they set their heart to give. We all know it doesn't work that way. It's a perspective shift that makes its way to a plan that completely changes their life. That they see, I have all that I need in God. He is the one who takes care of me. And so I trust him to do what he has always done and what he promised he will do, which is to take care of me. I may not have a lot. I may have a ton, but I lack nothing. It doesn't matter how many zeros are in your account. It doesn't matter how many zeros follow your net worth. You can have a little, you can have a lot. But when you set your heart to giving to God out of gratitude for who he is and what he's done, you lack Nothing, because you have everything in him. And the Bible says, you don't believe him, just put him to the test. Just try him and see. Because Paul says an amazing thing happens when we do. We begin to have our whole perspective shifted as we set our lives out to be givers to God. I want you to actually jump down to uh, 2 Corinthians 9, and I want to show you what this really looks like in real life. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, if you're in the Bibles that we have in the Seapacks, it's page 807, so just move to the right a little bit. Paul continues in this letter to that church, and I believe to us today, and he says these words. He gives us a principle that applies not only uh, to this, but to, to them, but to our lives today. Maybe you've heard before, but you didn't know where it came from. This is what he says. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap what? Generously. You kind of heard this principle. I know it's a little farming metaphor for you, but you understand what it means, don't you? The more I put in, the more I go in with God, the more I receive. Now, let me just be really, really clear. There are some church leaders who've greatly abused this principle and misunderstood it and promised you that if you give to God, he'll give back equally to you. Give 10 to God, he'll give you 100. I wish it worked that way. I wish that church lottery worked that way. But that's not what the Bible teaches, actually. It's not a dollar for dollar thing. It's that God fills you up with so much more than you could ever measure in this world. Fills your heart, fills your soul, fills your tank with gratitude so that you lack nothing. And the crazy thing is for givers, the more and more they give, the more and more they seem to have, the more free they get with their stuff, the less they need it, the more they become aware of their need for God. It's an amazing thing that happens. Paul goes on to say, so listen, as you set your heart to give, each of you should give, this is verse seven, each of you should give what you have, what's the word there? What you have 
decided in your heart, what you have planned in your heart. You set yourself, you, you've decided and determined in your heart. Here's the great thing. I'm not going to tell you what that number is. That's between you and God. If you have a spouse, significant other in your life, you're giving together, that's between you and them and God. He says, you set it, heart, like, set it aside in your heart. Decide to give. And then Paul says this, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this is the amazing thing. Anytime, I know you felt slightly uncomfortable because we're talking about money in church. And again, many church leaders have greatly abused the teachings of the Bible, some of them for their own gain. It's not what this is about. But there's an emotion that we tend to feel, an emotion inside all of us, that we tend to feel when we talk about money in church. Does anyone want to guess what that emotion is? Guilt. Shame. Paul says, no, 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 no. This is a guilt-free, shame-free zone. This is not that. This is joyful giving. I love God. I'm aware of his goodness. And so it's my joy to give to God. Now, let me be really honest with you. As Jean and I have set this as a habit and a pattern in our life, sometimes the joy leads to the giving. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the joy comes after the giving. Gene and I have set up in our lives, we started in our marriage, we said, you know, we're going to take a principle taught through the Bible, it's called the tithe, we took that principle of a percentage. So we said, we're going to start with 10%, and we had our perspective shifted, we believe it's all from God anyway, and so we set aside 10%, of first 10% that we had to go to God. And then God gave us this crazy idea, as we were starting this church, we had this idea, when we were making less than we'd ever made in our lives, he said, what if we could actually each year give more to God than we did the year before? And so each year, we've been able to add a percentage to what we give. And it is our goal for our family, our plan, is as we grow older, to live on less than we give. To give more to God than we live on for ourselves. Now, where does that come from? That comes from a perspective shift, and it is my joy every year. Not easy, but it is my joy to be able to say, we can give more, we can give more. God has yet to hold out on us. And so it's not out of guilt or obligation. If that's what you're feeling, let me release you and free you from that. This is not that. This is the joy that comes from recognizing the goodness of God and letting your gratitude go somewhere in your life. Paul closes out our thoughts for today and says this. Here's what God does as we give to him. God is able to bless you just enough. Is that what it says? God is able to bless you just enough. Is that, it says that God is able to bless you how much? You are so convincing with how you said that word. We're going to try that again like that didn't happen. God is able to bless you how much? That means over and above. God is able to bless you abundantly. Now look what Paul says here. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That you actually, God is going to take care of your needs at all times, in all circumstances. Oh God, I don't see how it's going to add up. I don't know how we're going to make the numbers work. At all times, in all circumstances, he will provide what you need so that you can not just get by, but abound. That you can excel, not only in the grace of giving, but in this world. He will take care of your needs because, jump down to verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity will result thanksgiving to God.
People see your perspective shift, the plan that you've put to work in, their, in your life, and say, only God. I don't, know how they, I don't even know how they're making it through each month, but they continue to give back to the God because they believe it's all from him anyway. Only God. This is the life that we're invited into, a life of giving to God. It's a beautiful life because it starts with me receiving from him, then responding with gratitude and giving back to him. And then we receive from him even more so that I want to give to him even more. And it's a beautiful, beautiful life with God. It's a joyful life with God. Not guilty, not obligated, but free and full of joy. I don't want to give you a picture of what that looks like kind of in real time. Because in a moment, I'm going to give us an opportunity to respond together and take a big step together as a church. But I want you to hear a story, get a picture of what that looks like. So I'm going to invite my friend Sarah Spiker to come on up real quick. Can we welcome Sarah up to the stage? Okay. Thank you. Uh, Sarah is actually a part of our team, and Sarah has stepped into me a huge need in our church. Sarah actually produces every Sunday gathering that we have here. So she made the long walk from the booth right up to the stage today, and we're so glad that you're here. Uh, you also aren't supposed to be here by yourself. Your husband, right. Tim, is supposed to be here, but he's not. You want to tell everyone and where? And my three babies are supposed to be upstairs, but all are sick at my house. So. And it's sounds like you're getting I know, I know. sick as well. And my mom and dad have been taking care of them. So. and so We'll just do the interview from too. a safe distance. <laughs> I know. Had, a, had enough sickness in our house exactly. this week. Well, I, you know, this is really fun because you, you and Tim, uh, I, I love your story. And I love actually that we knew each other a little bit down in Atlanta before we ever started this church. And to see how God has woven our lives back together is pretty amazing. You and Tim have been married for how long? Six and a half years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you came, both of you came into marriage with... Very different perspectives on giving. Yeah, so I was 34 when we got married. So I had had a lot of life to live up until meeting Tim and marrying him. And I was, like, picture a gripper, like, extraordinaire, and that was me. I I was holding so tightly to my stuff for lots of different reasons. One of them was I was living paycheck to paycheck. I don't know if anybody can relate, but that was my life. Um, And so I just was so tight-fisted with my money and with my stuff. And Tim, bless him, he is completely the opposite. He's a really generous giver, and he's always had a lot of wisdom in, in how to manage and, and budget his, his stuff and his money. So mm-hmm. we came into marriage at completely, like, could not have been more polar opposites, and it, it caused a lot of trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's, it's a good point to point out. It's already hard enough when two people come together in a covenant like marriage to assume that they're going to come in together agreeing um, on anything. Right. <laughs> Let alone money, okay? Right. Right. Which we hold so close to our hearts. And so, so the two of you kind of started from very different places. And that can cause a lot of friction, a lot of tension mm-hmm. in a house. Maybe you've experienced that or had, have lived through that or maybe had parents with totally different perspectives on money. So what did the two of you guys do? Because I know that, I know your story. You're in a very different place now. Mm-hmm. What, what did the two of you guys start yeah, so, to do? So Tim really leaned hard into what he felt like the, the spirit of God was telling him. And he, he just said, this is a value that our family is going to have. He just said, this is giving um, to the degree, the percentage that we choose to give is, is vital, not only to our story, but to the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so what we have always done is we take a, a percentage, some people call it a tithe or a percentage giving. So we take that and, and 75% we set aside for the local church or organizations we both believe in. And then 25% just sit, sits and waits. And, and we just let that be money that God chooses when and how to tell us to, to use it. And so we just, we, we wait together for God to speak. 
So you set aside a percentage, and then of that percentage, there's more percentages. Right. 75% He's of that. He's the math person, not Yeah, me. not Tim. Right, okay. right, right. Uh, but the, you keep that per, a percentage of your giving for what you call the God fund. Exactly. And so, what, I mean, it'd be awesome. Like, so that's planned spontaneous giving. Exactly. So, so some, before yeah. we moved here, yeah. uh, we knew about Soul City. Long story there, but we knew about Soul City. So we gave a little bit of money, what we could at the time, to uh-huh. the movement that was, that was Soul City. So before we even imagined being a part of this community... God gave us the opportunity to give to this community. Uh, I had a great friend when I was teaching in Atlanta who desperately wanted to go on maternity leave and couldn't. So they mm. just couldn't afford it. Mm. And so Tim and I, and I don't say this to brag, but no. truly God gave us the opportunity to, to, to hold this money so that my friend could take her maternity leave. So things like that That's that awesome. you wouldn't plan to be a part of, right. but when you plan, right. you can do it. You're freed up to do mm-hmm. that. So, so it's been a big shift for you, and I'm sure Tim would remind you that he was right all along, but uh, if he were here, I'll just say that for him. That's true. But it's been a huge shift for you. It's been very honest about that. What has changed in your perspective on, on giving, on your gratitude to God? What's changed for you personally? How has it changed? This has become really the biggest part of, 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 my, of our marriage for me. Um, I said the last, the last gathering, I'm, I'm truly a recovering gripper uh, in the sense of, of you, you really have never met somebody who was going like this as much as mm. I was. And when I, um, when I realized through giving what a joy it is to give, I, like I, I really truly feel like, and I was thinking this as you were giving the message, like you almost can become addicted hmm. to the feeling of giving things away. So hmm. before I was addicted to my junk and my stuff and my money, hmm. and now I, now I really get life and breath from giving, giving it away. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of growth to happen over the last six or seven years mm-hmm. and so. As we say, only God. And thank you for telling your story, Sarah. Absolutely. All right. We thank Sarah. I love, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's not an overnight thing, but it's something that can start today for anyone. No matter where you're at, kind of on the resource spectrums things, like you can, you can set aside, allow your perspective to be changed and put a plan together to say, I want to start giving to God. And we want to help you do that. You know, we talked, Sarah talked about the tithe, this principle. Gene and I started with a percentage. And we think that's a consistent biblical principle that I set aside a specific percentage and say, God, this belongs to you. First and foremost, this is for you. A lot of people start with 10. And you may have never, ever experienced that before in your life. And we want to help you actually do that, to start somewhere today to let your gratitude move to giving. And so in your seat back, there should be a little card that looks like this. Do you grab it and grab a pen and pull that out? I want everyone actually to grab this, if you would, and grab a pen. I just want to give you the opportunity to take a next step. We're all going to take together. On this card is a little opportunity for you to write your name and your email. And then there's a space at the end that we very intentionally put on there to ask how we can pray for you, because this is a big next step. And we want you to know that for every person who does and takes this step, we will specifically be praying for you by name. But for you, maybe the thing for you, the next step of growth and letting your gratitude express itself in giving is to start becoming a consistent giver. I'm going to set aside this percentage and I'm going to actually do it. I've wanted to do it. Maybe you've been a gripper and you're like, you know what? God is loosening the grip in my heart. Maybe you've been a tipper and you're like, you know, that's awesome. It's a great place to start. But I want to have a lifetime in all things, in all circumstances, in all situations. I want to be able to give to God. And so you might want to start increasing you're giving or giving more consistently. I'm not exactly sure where you're starting at. And here's the great thing. I don't have to tell you where to, what to do. This is between you and God. But I do want to encourage you to start. I want to see our church excel in the grace of giving. 
I, I want this city to know, this church, not by what we're against, but who we're for and how we give and how we love and how we're not hung up on our stuff, but we trust a God who provides for every one of our needs and we seek to meet needs as he leads us. And so in a moment, we're going to receive our offering. And this is a chance for you to fill this out and drop it in the offering. If you came prepared, like Paul talks about, prepared in your heart to give, then I want to encourage you to give. And maybe your plan was to tip today, tip away. Go ahead and do that. But I'd encourage you to fill this out because we want to help you take that next step of growth. This is real transformation. You saw, heard Sarah's story. This is real life-changing stuff. It's changed our marriage. It's changed my life. I did not grow up doing this. I grew up in the church. I did not grow up doing this. And I'm so grateful to God that he's growing me in this way. And what you may have noticed on here is that there's no space for you to put down your routing number for your checking account or credit card number because that's going to be between you and God. And what we want you to do is just to start and then to go home today and pray. And we're going to reach out to you and we're going to help you get started. We're going to help you take this big step because we believe it leads to life and freedom and joy. And I want our church to excel in the grace of giving. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to receive our offering with joy and gratitude. And we're going to respond by singing a song that our church actually wrote. We get to sing in response and just surrender our whole life to God as we look at and consider all that he has done for us. So will you join me in praying and responding and singing to God? Let's pray right now. God, thank you for the reality of your goodness, God put on display not only in the resources of our life, but ultimately put on display through your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us, who literally emptied out his life so that we could be full of life in you and in him. So thank you, Jesus. What, I mean, what else can we say but thank you? And God, I've never been more aware of my gratitude and my dependence on you than I have been this last week. And so, God, I pray that this would move from just a feeling to something that I can actually do. And I pray that for our church, that we'd be the kind of people who would excel in the grace of giving, that we would trust you to provide for all of our needs so that we, God, can provide for the needs of others. Thank you, God, as we give to you that you sow back into our lives so beautifully and wonderfully. And God, I pray against fear. I know there's fear in this room right now. There's fear that there's not going to be enough. There's fear that you're not good. God, I pray for freedom over that fear. I pray for truth to speak into that fear, that you've consistently proven and spoken into our lives, that you are good, that you are faithful, that your love endures, that you have offered us everything. And so help us, help us right now to respond to you. Help us to respond to you, God, out of gratitude, out of gratefulness to you through our giving. And so, God, we pray that you would receive this with great delight. You would help us take our next step in you. And you'd help us grow in the grace of giving as a church. We pray this in your name. Amen.